There will be another in the fire. Do you realize what biblical story that relates to? It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, I've often thought about that story, that one of the significant components to that is that there were three Hebrews in the midst of that trial. Uh, I've thought about that. I've talked to some men about it before. I always thought it was significant that, uh, you know, in that story in Daniel, uh, when the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, as I remember, I may be wrong on that, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, erects, uh, erects, man, I'm a little trouble this morning, erects this image and says, when the music plays, everybody bowed down. I, th- I thought it was significant that if you're going to have to take your stand, and, and the reality is, is there is a sense that all of us have to make a personal choice individually to say, I will take my stand for Christ. But I thought it was significant that day that Shadrach had Meshach and Abednego. And I don't know if they talked about it before, but they stood together. I think, I think that's significant. I think it was significant in the story when they're brought before the king to say, hey, we're going to play the music again one more time, boys, okay? So when the music starts, we just need y'all to bow down. And they answer together as a group, king, it doesn't matter really what you do because we've already made up our minds here and we're not going to serve your gods. And uh, they went into that fire, the fiery furnace, together. And then, I believe, the Christ shows up in the midst of the fire. Amen? You know, there is a sense in which the Christian life is just an individual experience. And there is a sense of that. That each one of us has to take responsibility for our own lives. We must Each individually make our decision to choose to follow Christ. We must individually choose to walk with Christ and live for Christ and be obedient to Christ. But there is also another dynamic. And it is the group dynamic, and that's what I want to talk about primarily today. There is a group dynamic to our spiritual lives. We see this in the New Testament, in the context of the church being a group. We also see it in the Old Testament in the context of the children of Israel. Yes, there are individual decisions that are made within those groups, but there is also a dynamic to that group. One of the classic episodes in the Old Testament is found in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. Numbers, if you're looking in your Bible, that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Or it's going to be on the screen. Let me set the context before we begin to read in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1. It has been a little over a year 
since God delivered the children of Israel in mass as a group out of bondage in Egypt. They have lived for the last year in the wilderness, in tents. And every time they would move or the, the cloud would move, they would load up all their belongings and they would wander, as we say, in the wilderness. In the midst of that year, God has showed His power from the very beginning, not only in, in the plagues that He sent upon the Egyptians, not just in the death angel that passed over in His deliverance when He saw the blood, but delivering them out of Egypt in mass, taking them to the Red Sea, and even this song talked about the hands that are holding back the waters. I, I'm assuming that's an allusion to the passing through of the Red Sea. God has showed His power in an incredible way for over a year, not just coming out of Egypt, not just the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, God miraculously provides water on a couple of occasions. When they get tired of the, well, the manna, if we're just talking about the provision of God for over a year, every day, just go out in the morning and, and scoop it up. And I'm going to provide for you. But even when they got tired of the manna, God sends quail. So just think about this. For a year they have seen uh, the, the miraculous hand of God provide for them. And notice what the story says. And I want us to read, I'm going to read a number of verses this morning. And then we're going to talk about it. I want you to see the group dynamic in the midst of this experience for the children of Israel. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Skip down to verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole, they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The 
place was called the Valley of Eshcol because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great stature. There we saw the giants. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the word Nephilim. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. A classic story. 
so significant in the life of the children of Israel and such a study in group dynamics. In the first verses in chapter 13, we see that Moses sends out 12 men to be spies, to look, to inspect the land, uh, to see what the land is like. It is interesting to me that in verse 2, when God speaks to Moses and describes it, he says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, and here's the phrase, which I am giving to the children of Israel. The promise of God was, I'm going to give you this. God had something greater than where they were for them to go. Um, They select leaders from every one of the tribes. In fact, quite honestly, these were probably younger men. The only names that we're going to know from the list of the twelve, and they're listed in the verses, verses 4 through 16 that I didn't read, The only names we're going to remember or recognize are Caleb uh, from the tribe of Judah and Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. Now there's a reason if you read later in the story, none of the other ten men survive this episode. And these two men will be promised by God that they will be able to go into the promised land. It is also interesting to me in verse 2 though, God describes it and he says, which I am giving to the children of Israel. When I read that, what I realize, there are some experiences in life that are group experiences. The promise of God was not, now listen, now Joshua, Caleb, Moses, Aaron, if any of y'all want to go up as individuals and take your part of the land, you just go up and do that. God didn't say that. The implication of the scripture is that this isn't all or nothing. Either we're going to all get to the promised land, or none of us are going to get to the promised land. But this is not an individual decision. This is a group decision. And I believe that's the reason that uh, we discover in the story the group dynamic behind this episode. If you skip on down to verse 17... There were three things, when you read 17, 18, 19, 20, that the spies were to identify. And he says it in different ways. But Moses says to them, I want you to verify what the land is like, what the people are like, and what the cities are like. And I want you to bring back a report. Now this was not, this was not a run-through uh, glance, this was 40 days of investigation, of verification of the land that God was giving them. One of the other significant components to this is that they come, specifically in verse 22, to the city of Hebron. It's in the south. Now, Hebron is significant. It's not stated here, but Hebron is significant because that's where the patriarchs were buried. That is where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the children of Israel, even though it had been hundreds of years, I don't know, 400 years plus at this point, their forefathers were buried in Hebron. 
It is a statement for them even to go there to know the stories and remember that God had promised Abraham that all of this will be your land. They had every reason to believe that God was behind this and God was engineering the circumstances so that they could be brought to that place. The thing, though, that is stated here is that the descendants of Anak were there. And I want you just to kind of put that in your brain. I don't know how to uh, describe this. Uh, The Anakim, which would have been the plural of of Anakim, Anak, uh, were large people. Uh, It doesn't say that the Anakim were there. It says the descendants of Anakim were there. If you project it out, what would it be? Another... uh, five, six hundred years, this is who Goliath is going to come from, okay? There were some large people that lived in the place where great-great-great-grandpa and great-great-great-grandpa and great-great-grandpa were buried, even though it's been over 400 years. There's some really large people that live in that place. The Anakim are the descendants of Anak. The other thing that I notice about the story, and and this is just something I uh, surmise from the text and the story, but I think it's very significant. All of the spies saw the same thing. Twelve men inspecting, verifying the land for 40 days. As far as we know, each one of them saw the same thing question becomes, what did they do with what they saw? Now, I don't know, and this is not also stated in the text, but they have been sent out to inspect the land and to bring back a report. I could imagine in the midst of those 40 days, those men, individually, I don't know that they talked or what they said among themselves, those men began to process in their brains what they were seeing. There was something going on inside of them as they inspected the land, and it's very significant. Now, we don't know what that is, but in time when they get back in the midst of the 40 days, there is something that comes out of their mouth And there are actions that come out of their lives that denote what was going on inside of them. Does that make sense? I think it's going to unfold here and you're going to say, no, I've heard from their mouth and I've seen by their actions, I know what was going on in their heart. And the question becomes, what will be, and I want to use the word attitude this morning, because I believe we choose our attitude, before there were words out of their mouth, before there were actions out of their lives, there was an attitude within their hearts. The process of what happens in this episode starts within them. There is a choice. I would contend it is in the midst of those 40 days that each man is processing the information and he is, he's trying to figure out, what am I going to say to the people? What is it that I sense in my heart? 
And what we discover by their words that come out of their mouth and the actions that come out of their lives is they had a choice to either respond within in faith or in fear. Either they were going to go up and they were going to look at it and go, yeah, there's some really big people where great-great-great-great-grandpa was buried. And uh, yeah, they've got some walled cities. But you know what? I believe God is able to, to conquer all of that. God will take care of this and respond. In faith. Do you understand? There's circumstances in our lives, aren't there? That God has spoken to us. God has promised us something. And you go, okay, I'm looking at my outward circumstances. We have tests. Uh, and we, we go, well, I wonder what God's going to do. And we have a choice that starts within us. Before words come out of our mouth, before actions come out of our lives, that we have a choice within us whether we are going to respond in faith and say, my God is bigger than this. And God is going to see us through whatever he has brought us to or we, begin, we can begin to look at the circumstances around us and we would say, well, this is really bigger than I can handle, which is also true. But really what we do is we respond with unbelief instead of faith. From the words that were spoken and the actions that were lived, there were 10 of those 12 men that when they processed the information, even though they had seen the same things as Joshua and Caleb, they responded by unbelief. We were going to see it in their words. We we're going to see it in their actions. It is a difference of perspective. Same problems, same challenges, but Joshua and Caleb, two of them said, God is able to do this. And we see that in their words. Ten of them said, we can't do it. Ten of them looked around them and said, the challenges are too great. Two of them looked above them and said, God is able to handle this. It is interesting to me that later in chapter 14, not verses that we've read, but in 14, 24... Uh, God says, he says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Because he has a different spirit in him. The question, the starting point of faith is the attitude within us. Do we believe that God is greater than the challenges that we face? But what we also see in the story that what follows that is the words will always express the heart that is within. And we see through the words that came out of their mouth, and you can see that in verses 26 through 33. Caleb says... We can. He says that in verse 30. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But, but previously, the majority report had said, We went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and it 
and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And then he describes where the different people live. They went up to inspect the land, the people, and the cities. The land is good, but the people are large and the cities are fortified. And their assessment of it is, we can't do this. Caleb comes back and it literally says in verse 30 that he quieted the people. Now these are their words. Words are very powerful. There was a point here that the the children of Israel were gathered and they were waiting to see what would these 12 men tell us. I would contend today if the 12 men in solidarity had stood up that day and said, yes, the cities are fortified. Yes, there are some large people in the land. It is a good land. God will bring us up into it. The people would have followed those 12 leaders. But the problem was 10 lacked faith. And the decision is going to play out. Do you understand that leaders have influence over people and the words of leaders are very significant? And we see it in the group dynamic in this story. And even though Caleb and Joshua later are going to say we can do this, the majority report said we cannot. The thing that strikes me even later in in chapter 13, first they just say, well, the cities are fortified and the people are big. And then is it when Caleb comes back and says, we can do this, then they kind of like up their ante. Because this is what you do (laughs) when you go away and say, we've got to make our point because you people are going to listen to them and y'all are going to respond in faith and we're going to have to go and I don't believe God can do it. All of a sudden, the, the cities are super fortified And the people are gigantic. Not just some of the people, all the people. They came from the Nephilim. These are the mythological figures of, I don't want to say it's myth, but they're mythological in proportion in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, before the flood. And I don't have time to go into all that. But this is like, no, it's not just the descendants of Anak. These people came from the Nephilim. They're like superheroes. Not just some of them, all of them are. Everybody up there was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And there's no way we're going to be able to do this. The cities are super fortified. Can't do it. So it's interesting to me that they kind of like continue to exaggerate and use hyperbole the longer it goes to prove their point that they wanted to make that God was not able to do this. That they feared men more than they feared God. It started with an attitude within their hearts. Secondly, it was the words out of their mouth. And when you look at verse 14 in those verses, you see then it plays out in the actions from their lives. Bottom line, they did not respond in faith. They refused to go up. It's almost humorous to look. They said, we would rather die in the wilderness. We should have just died in the wilderness. I wish we'd just been a slave and they just killed us in Egypt instead of going through all this of the last year. Can't believe we're here. It's almost humorous. It's like, we need to, let's find another leader that'll take us back to Egypt because we'd rather be slaves 
then go up and do this. What strikes me about the story is, yeah, they're, they're truly between a rock and a hard place because God delivered them out of slavery. They're in the, in the wilderness, and God says, I'm going to give you this land that flows with milk and honey. And they're in the wilderness living in tents, being fed by God, Him providing miraculously water, and leading them through a cloud. The sense is this is not sustainable. We cannot stay here. Either we're going to die in this place or we're going to go back to Egypt. But they did not have the faith to go up and to take what God promised them and gave them, which was the land of Canaan. The point of the story for the children of Israel was that to go into the promised land required faith. And when I say faith, I wanted to make that clear. That faith is demonstrated by attitude within our, within our hearts, the words that come out of our mouth, and the actions that come from our lives. Faith equals attitude plus words plus actions. I really believe it starts within us and then comes out of our mouth and then it is demonstrated by the actions of our lives for God to take them where they were to take them to the place that he wanted them to be and he promised for them to be required faith that is not just a belief in the heart but it's expressed by our words and is lived out ultimately in our lives. Um, I want to speak to you as a group this morning. This is where we find ourselves, maybe not quite as dramatic as the children of Israel. This is where we find ourselves as a church. I believe that God has called us to a place of greater impact. A place of greater impact. It will not be something we will be able to do. In fact, I will, I will, I've set before you the challenge that I believe in the next three to five years the God-sized goal is that every person in Huntington would have a relational connection to the gospel. What I'm saying is that we would saturate the land where God has placed us with the gospel. We would so live it out with our lives that there would not be one person who didn't have a person in their life that was living out the gospel and speaking the gospel to them. And um, I don't know how large of a challenge that seems to you. And you may, you may sit there and, and I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's in your heart today. But I know the process of what God wants to do in our lives starts in the hearts of individuals.
Do we believe that God is great enough to do a work in our life that would affect 8,000 people and quite honestly beyond? Because some of you don't even live in Huntington. And I'm not suggesting when you leave the city limits of Huntington that you stop sharing the gospel. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying this is our land and I believe God has called us to saturate to saturate it with the gospel. But that's 8,000 people. I don't know, maybe the first time I said that, you thought in your heart, if you were being honest, and nobody's going to be honest to the pastor, I understand that. Well, those are high-sounding words. You're crazy. Thank you, David. Your initial response in your heart was, can't do it. I, as your pastor, believe that the greatest days for Huntington First Baptist Church are still ahead of us. And that God has called us to a greater work in which we're going to have a greater impact. I believe it's about gospel saturation in Huntington, Texas. And let me tell you, it starts within us. And it's not about us. It's about what do we believe about God? Is God able or not to do that? And how ridiculous it would be for us to sit here week by week and read the stories that we read from the Bible and in our heart go, uh, well, yeah, maybe he used to do that, but... No, he wouldn't do something like that here. And you know where that leaves us? Living in tents in the wilderness. Eating nothing but manna day by day. Waiting to die. Would we believe that God has something greater for us. The starting point is the attitude within us. And quite honestly, I debated this in my heart at the end of last year. And the thought was, if I set before you a challenge that the majority of you thought, yeah, we can do that then I would have sold God short. I don't know. It can't be something the majority of people at Huntington First Baptist Church look at and go, okay, that's reasonable. Yeah, I bet we could do that. No, quite honestly, for it to be like God, it would have to be something that the majority in our humanness, inside our hearts, our initial reaction would be, "Eh, I don't think so. Can't do it. But there is a choice that we will make and it will make all the difference in the group dynamic of our church if we begin with the attitude within us that says, yes, I believe. But you know, it it plays out more than that. Because be careful. And God has spoken to me about this recently in my own life. Be careful the words that come out of your mouth. 
because our words have influence on other people. Well, our words indict us because of they express what is in our heart. But be careful of the words that you speak because your words have influence. My words have influence. And if in our hearts we say we can't and our words express that, there is somebody that is going to hear us that goes, hmm, I think you're right. I don't think we can. There's a couple things that God's been speaking to me about. One of them is, is about negative thoughts. And I, I think I've just come to my mind, to the place in my life, I just don't have time or energy for it anymore. I, I just, I don't want to. I don't want to think about what bad thing could happen or what about this or what about that. I, no, I don't want to. I'm tired of that. I don't have the energy for that. But the other thing that God has spoken to me is be careful of the words that come out of your mouth because your words have influence. And either it will lead other people down the road to greater impact or it will lead other people to unbelief to say, I don't think we can. The third component of that, though, it's not just the attitude within us or the words that come out of our mouth, but it is the actions that we live. Um, believe it in your heart. Speak it with your mouth. But that won't be enough. Because we can come in here and we can, we can muster up all the faith we want. We can have a pep rally and we can say all the right things in here. It will not matter. They could have done the same thing the children of Israel. It wasn't, going to get us a, it wasn't going to get us out of the wilderness and into the promised land. No, they were going to, God was not going to hand this to them. They were going to have to go and take it. There had to be action. That is just the way God operates. He's not going to hand it to us. We have to believe it in our hearts. We have to speak it with our mouths. But we must live it out. It does not matter what I preach, what I challenge you with. If we do not do it, it's just another campaign filled with hot air. And, and I'll tell you, the one thing that I have set before you, and we're we kind of down to home people this week, aren't we? It's kind of, we, just, we, we could probably just have a little, we could have a little come to Jesus church meeting right here this morning. It's just, it's just us, isn't it, this morning? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> um, one thing. 
we must relationally connect the gospel to the people in our circles of influence. I've said this, I've said that this way and this way, from this side, from this side, different stories. We've talked about it all around. Doesn't really matter. I wanted to make sure you understood. If you don't understand, we can continue this sermon series for as long as we need to. Because I'm telling you, as the pastor, this is it. There's no, there's no, there's no great plan, scheme, no. Either in our daily lives, we are going to relationally connect the gospel to those that come in and out of our circles or are in our circles all the time, or we will not. And it's not, even if we believe it, even if we speak it, if we don't do it, it will not matter. Faith is the attitude within us, the words that come out of our mouth, but also the actions that come out of our lives. I believe that our greatest days are ahead. We must believe it. Yes, we must speak it. But we also must act on it. And I believe that the the big goal is gospel saturation in the area where God has planted us. That God says, go up and take the land. Amen?